Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jason here with Brian as always, and we are continuing our discussion on influence, what it means to have influence, how do we use it properly, what does it look like, and today uh, Brian and I were talking and we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the difference between inspiring someone and persuading them of your ideas or convincing someone of your ideas, because on one hand, You've got inspiration and influence, true influence, where you're leading someone to freedom versus trying to convince them that you have an idea and it's better than their idea or their current state of being, and you've got to try to persuade them into your way of thinking. And there's actually a big difference there because persuading someone, trying to convince them, can generally have a lot of negative aspects to it. So we wanted to go a little bit further into that today. I think one of the main key things, and we can see this in through conversations through our past podcasts, is we want to deal with the difference between a victim and someone who's been liberated. And there's, it's really a two-way, it's two different ways of, of thinking. So again, when we were talking about influence on this, we were coming from uh, the perspective of that we've done something courageous. We've stepped into another person's world. We've, we've faced something through uh, utilizing our identity and strength, and it began making an impact. And that type of influence inspires. And inspires means you almost embody it and you rise up in the freedom of it. Versus the persuasion side is, I really have to almost keep you down because I don't want you truly to rise. I want you to grab my idea, but it it gives me value. It gives It gives me something. The one who's persuading reaps the benefits. But the one who's inspiring, a lot of times it costs them everything to inspire that person into another level because they see something different in them. They see something greater in them, not see something that they're missing that they need. And ultimately that comes down to your motive. So are you interested in seeing something in another person and bringing that out, drawing that out of them? Or are you interested in building your movement based on what you have, based on your ideas, based on how many people you can get to agree with you? Or is it more about their potential, the identity that's in them, and releasing that and bringing it out? And we had a few examples last time. We talked about William Wallace and Robert the Bruce. Um, We had a couple of examples from the Bible as well. But it's really interesting when you look at these historical characters, how at times it really could have felt like a fruitless and pointless endeavor, but it didn't really dissuade them. It didn't really turn them off the right path because they weren't they weren't interested in seeing an immediate result. They were really just interested in living out who they are. And it didn't really matter the cost and it didn't really matter what they saw around them. That was their goal. That was their aim. That's just what they were and they couldn't help be that. So they weren't trying to influence people with this idea of you know, I'll get my name in the history books or I'll get a library named after me or anything like that. It was really just an automatic outflow of who they were and they were very comfortable and confident in being that. Yeah, I think even when a lot of these things will cross over, there'll there'll be some similarities. So again, we, we can't sit and nitpick exactly, okay, this is the right way, this one's the wrong way. Sometimes they do intersect, but like you said, it's all about the motive of what's going on. Is my motive for the best interest of you, or is my motive for the best interest of what I see as valuable? 
I mean, Jesus walked around like this all the time. I mean, he obviously he had the kingdom that was the right answer. He had the solution. He knew the mess that they were in. But if you really look at how he interacted people, he inspired them to rise so that way they can be the ones that were influencing those around him versus him forcing them into subjection, which he could have easily done. If he came in with all the power of heaven, these angels come in, and this big angelic host, everybody would have bowed and worshipped him, but he would have never really had their hearts. He would have had their fear, but he wouldn't have had their hearts. But when he gets them inspired, they start owning that idea. They start owning that that thing, and actually it unites something much bigger. So there's still an element that people need to see a different truth, but it always lifts. It doesn't oppress. One great example in Jesus's life of that, you see near the end of his ministry where there's some stuff going on and his disciples say, Master, let us call down fire from heaven and wreck these people. That's the Jason paraphrase. And Jesus doesn't say, well, we can't do that. He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. He says, that's not the right way to do this. That's not what we're about. He's never trying to prove anything, and he's never trying to see how many of his cool tricks and tools and skills he can use in a certain situation to impress people and convince people. He was just on a mission. I mean, you look at what he did for his ministry. Yes, he was trying to show people a new way, and there's a new kingdom, a new life coming, and to get people to accept that and understand it and realize it. But it was never from this perspective of, oh man, if I don't convince this crowd, then what's going to happen? Or if I don't convince these people, then what's going to happen to my ministry? It was never from that. It was just, this is where I'm going, and this is going to be the result of it, and I want people to see that too. Because as you and I were talking about before, being influential isn't really a goal. You had mentioned that before we started recording. It's not a goal. It's not something that you put on your calendar and say, okay, I'm today, today I'm going to be influential, so better make sure I influence my my three people that I've got today. I mean, there's, there's an element to that, sure. It's got to be intentional, and we've got to be focused on it, but it's not an end goal. It's more so that you get out there and be who you are, and that will influence the people around you. Well, if you really even breaking down the story of Gideon, you can see that, that the messenger was influencing and inspiring Gideon. He didn't come to him and told him what he needed, how, you know, where he was missing it, what, why he needed this special thing to become dependent on the messenger. The messenger actually came and lifted him to a place of who he really was. That created a code, a a intradependency on that word. There's something, there became a dependency, but it became in a power base where actually the person that would be doing the the influence and the courageous act is the one that was being inspired versus him coming in saying, if you serve me, if you do these things, then I will go and deliver you, but I need your your weakness and all of that. So again, we can keep going back and forth of how that looks and and many different examples. But I think this live example really stood out with me that happened this week. We were at, uh, my son and I, we went rock climbing and there's a belayer there that uh, has been with us, training us for about two years. And for the first, for the first at least three, four months that I saw him, every time I saw him, I'd greet him, say hi. And my next question would be, so what do you really want? And this would be the question, and he would kind of ignore me, and then he would like, ah, oh, and he would kind of laugh it off. And I, I would do this like every single time we saw him. So he's like, oh, I want more money. I said, 
oh, okay. Um, then another time, but I want another house. I'm, and then I would sometimes say, no, but what do you really want? And so I'd always keep bringing that question back. So about eight months, nine months go by, and we would interact around other things, but that would be always the first question that I would ask him when I saw him. And I came into the gym probably, and uh, it probably was about a year ago, and he came up to me and said, I know what I want. I said, really? So he started laying out this plan that of what he wanted to do with his life and where he wanted to go and, and what, what he wanted to accomplish. I said, that's great. And so he, he was so excited to begin sharing that. And then I said, but, you know, that's not really the, the core question. And I got this look like, oh, no, we got to start this all over again. Who are you? So that became the question that, that went on. And it, would, it took place about six months ago. He pulled me aside and he said, I've been really pondering that question. He said, how do you know who you really are? Like, because you'd say, well, I'm Thai. I'm, you know, and you start listing these different characteristics. He goes, how do you know who you really are? And I said, you can never really know who you are until you know your father. Well, then that caused a different set of conversations because that wasn't a, the best of relationship because the only thing his father had ever done was persuade him that he was not good enough. Don't push yourself. Don't try to set anything beyond what you think is possible because you'll just bring shame on the family. Just do your thing. So there's always this dissuasion on his on his life from his father. And it just wasn't a, a very healthy relationship. But that was kind of a great example of he was persuaded by his father. But he said, well, if that's what I am, how's that going to help me? And that's when I began walking through what Jesus came to do and how your real father and he said, the problem is your natural father never knew the, his real father. And so he was just repeating what he knew. But that's not who you really are. So this conversation unpacked. We spent some time on that. So about two weeks ago, he came and met me at the car. And he goes, I got to tell you what's going on. He goes, I finally have purchased land. Um, I've got our customers. I've got the market for this business. I got family members that want to actually join in and help. But do you know what happened is I got another opportunity opened up for me, for me to go work and do open a climbing gym and I would be the manager of the gym and they're going to pay me good. And what should I do? And I said, well, what do you really want? And I brought it back to that question. I go, what brought life to you when you first were thinking about it a year ago? And so he went back to what he was doing. He said, but man, I got this opportunity. And I said, I was just walking through that opportunities are always going to come because when you start seeing that you have value, everyone else has already seen you have value. So they're going to try to extract that. I said, well, what did this, did this guy offer you a part ownership in the business? Did he, because he can't open the business without you because he needs you because you're good at what you do. He said, no, he's just going to make me a manager. And I said, nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't seem to be the thing that you were really wanting way back. And he goes, yeah, but even the, this guy, he said that I'll, I'll fail at what I'm doing anyway, so why not come and do what you're good at? And I said, hold on just a second. If I was your good father sitting here and I believed in you and I saw what you were, I go, remember the thing about a good father, what would I be telling you to do? What would I be encouraging you to do? What would I be uh, inspiring? Uh, seeing in you to go do. And he took a long pause 
They said, let me go think about that. So fast forward to last week. I walk into the gym. Man, he, he was, he said, come back here and sit and talk with me. He didn't even hook up to climb, help my son climb. He, he wanted to share this story. So he said, I went and got my land. I just bought the, the, this shop next door. I'm going forward with this. He goes, I'm still concerned I may fail. And I go, you probably will many times during this journey. That's, that's part of life because you don't know enough. We know, we don't, anybody doesn't know enough until you hit certain roadblocks. But you know what? Something is causing you to keep moving forward in it. He goes, yeah, I've been thinking about my good father speaking to me, what he would say to do. He wouldn't just have me go take something a little bit better temporarily to be back in the same situation that I am right now. And so it was really interesting to watch this happen. And I said, man, I'm just really proud of you. This is great. And he goes, I have to stop and thank you. I go, thank you for what? He goes, for asking the question, what do I really want? And I said, well, I didn't do anything. I was just asking the question. This is all you. This was emerging from you. And he goes, no one's ever believed in me before. He goes, I watch you and your son. You climb. You believe. You bring your guys down here. You believe in them. And I wouldn't have been able to step forward if you didn't believe. And I'm not sharing this story to say, look how great I did. We didn't know we were influencing this guy. Me and David were just climbing. I was bringing our guys there to do leadership development. I, I had no idea this was happening. I was just, I wanted to see what was in this guy. I wanted to know him. And I thought it was interesting how that took about two years to kind of unpack. And his life is changing. And we've had more time and we'll be. he wants to know more. And it's opened up. Now we can start really walking through how Jesus impacts how he connected with the Father, what that's done in his life. And he said, Brian, I would have never listened to you on any of this conversation two years ago. But as I began watching and I realized you actually believed in me, I want to hear it. And so I think this is just a great point of that is a big difference between inspiring someone and lifting them. And obviously he had wrong thinking. He had beliefs that weren't working. He had ideas about himself that weren't right. And I could have come in and said, you're just wrong. Here's what you need to believe. It would have gone nowhere. But because I just kept seeing what he was and believing, it caused something to happen. But I didn't go to do this gym intentionally. I'm going to get this guy and he is going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and he's going to do this and he'll become part of my group. And I can say that I got my check marked that I did my Christian duty. That would be absurd. No, it had nothing to do with that because I didn't, I didn't even know I was doing that. I just kept moving forward with what I felt prompted courageously within the environment that, that we were. But more importantly, he saw my son's courage of keep pushing himself just in climbing, that he saw a relationship happening. And so I think when we're talking about inspiration, and, and influencing people. We don't know just our daily lives and those simple little things are powerfully affecting people as long as we keep the person, people that are around us with significant value, even though they may appear to not have it based on our standards. And that story is a perfect example of this point that we've talked about in the past. It's not about giving 
the right answer or giving people advice because we love to give advice to people when there's a situation and we look at influence that way. You know, I'm influencing this person if they have this problem and I give them the right advice, they take my advice, they fix their problem, I've influenced them. That's not at all what happened in this story. You didn't you didn't give a lot of, all right, here's the problem in front of you, you need to go do this and it's going to be better. You brought out what was inside of him and you brought him back to what his heart was. And more than that, you helped him see an example of what a good father would do. And that had a true lasting impact on his life because you actually have to believe in the person that you're influencing or you have to believe in the person that's in front of you. If you don't genuinely believe in them, A, your influence isn't going to have any effect because they're going to know. People know when you're pretending that you believe. Everyone, especially in the church, we're really good at throwing out the pretend belief and seeing it in other people. And it's not just the church. People in the world see this just as much, if not more. People know when you're not being authentic. There's just some sense we have about it. And so if you don't truly believe there's something more in the person in front of you, you're not going to have an influence on them. So for you, you had to actually see something in him first. You couldn't walk into this like, hey, we're going to this rock climbing place quite a bit. Maybe I can convert a couple people while I'm here. You actually had to see something in him that was more. And I wanted to ask you about that. So was there a point in that whole relationship where you noticed something, where you kind of got to know him to a point where you saw something more in him? And what did that really look like? I mean, why did you keep, why did you keep doing that even before there was any change or any result? You know, maybe it's just part of a practice that over the years of the things that's changed my life when people have inspired me is when they believed in me when I could not see anything good. I could not see any hope. I couldn't see any anything, but yet they saw beyond me. And I think that's always been kind of a part of my method of thinking that even when there's some people that are just real jerks and it's hard seeing something good in them. And so I'm as human as anyone else. That's not an easy journey. But if you start anything where that person in front of you, um, in fact, I think Ravi Zacharias probably said it the best. Every human is of intrinsic value. They may not know it. They may not be treating it that way, but they're of intrinsic value. Even if we diabolically disagree over a thought, they are very valuable. And when you can see people of great value created in God's image, even though they're not accepting that image, even though they're rejecting that image, but that's not how God sees them. If you can do that, all of a sudden you don't try to persuade them to your ideas. You try to pers- you try to influence them to see what they really are, and then it gives God the opportunity to inspire them into what they are. But now they know you believe, and I think the messenger is absolutely as important as the message. If the messenger has no, if you're just a salesman trying to convert customers. You you could be a great salesman, but people don't really walk away all the time saying, I believe that guy. No, they just walk away going, that guy was a great salesman. Like, he got me. I, I, I bought this thing. And it doesn't mean that's necessarily right or wrong, but that is not inspiration. That is not something that is permanent change that transforms a life. And he said something interesting a year ago when he first saw what he wanted. I go, so what's happened in your life since you discovered that? And he goes, well... 
every night, every day I'd come to work, I'd sleep in, come to work, do my thing, go out partying, stay up late, sleep in, come to work, go out partying. That was his whole cycle for his life. And I said, what happened? He goes, I can't go do it anymore. I go, why not? He said, because something inside me changed that I want this more. I, I want this more. That gets in my way. And I find that, we've, we've seen that in other stories that we, we've seen. There is this consistent pattern when your heart truly becomes motivated because someone values you and believes in you and sees something in you. It causes you to go that you choose, that those just become weights that are holding you back from what you really want. But if you're not inspired, you don't really want it. You're, you're kind of forced into this mold. And some people are great at it, but it's not freedom. Yeah, really, you're just substituting one master for another. Or really, you're just substituting one life of slavery for another life of slavery, where you're not truly free. I mean, there's a difference between, we talk about the idea of being servants of God, which obviously we are, and there's a context to that. But on, on one hand, it's almost more accurate to think of it as you as a free person are willingly aligning yourself with something else because you see what it is. So if you, for instance, if you would have come to that guy and said, look, man, I know how to live your life better. If you cut out this, this and add this and this, you're going to have a better life. I really don't think that would have had an influence on him. I, he might have smiled. He might have not. He might have, he might have even tried it for a week, but it wouldn't have lasted. We've seen that with countless guys in our programs. But when you come to someone and show them that there is something better and that they can be part of it, and not only part of it, but it can actually be in them, then they can't help but want to know more and to go after it. And for so long, I feel like we've had that backwards when we're trying to you know, influence people in the church or convert people to Christianity, whatever, however you want to look at it. It's, man, these people have all these bad habits and these things they're doing wrong. And if they would just stop doing those things, they would see how much better life with God is. I feel like that just, there's something missing in that. And obviously that's not, it's not wrong to tell people they should stop doing harmful things. Okay. We kind of get that. But if you truly want to influence someone, you don't start with their behavior. You start with their heart. Behavior is just an outflow of your heart. You don't you don't get to switch it the other way around. That's not how human beings are wired. That's why people don't vote with their brains. They vote with their gut. It doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. It's this person, I like this person more, and I feel better about this person, so I'm going to vote for them, I mean, as one example there. But if you can win over someone's heart in a genuine way, then you see their life change. And I love that story. It's such a good example of influence starting and having a lasting impact. And I was I wanted to ask you something else about that guy. Was there a point in that journey where where you either felt frustrated or like hey, maybe this isn't working, maybe I'm not getting through to this guy, maybe I'm wasting my time? Was there any of that that went through your head at some point? Not really that I was wasting my time because again, I didn't have an agenda with him. He's our climbing trainer. So it wasn't like if you accept or don't accept, I'm not going to keep coming back to you. He was a great trainer, so I'm going to keep going to him. But I think what I did notice is he quit talking. There was a season for a couple months that he avoided a conversation with me. Hmm. And so I'm curious to find out what that avoidance was. So I, I, I don't know. I can only, I don't know. 
but then it all of a sudden that broke and now he was excited to see and so it it was i'm not sure what those transition points are but we all go through them but see i didn't whether he believed what i said or had the answer i'm still going to keep coming and working with him so right there keeps a consistency through that whole process where that was something that we heard from one of the directors of probation um is they said we have many missionaries come into our program we have many people that come and want to do programs but they have three agendas one to take pictures and and raise money the second one is to get people to um convert to their ideas and if they don't they cast them off and go on to the next person and the third one is they actually just care about the people and so I think it's interesting that when you have people outside of your world view and outside of your circles that can diagnose the three types of people that come out, he was he was dead on accurate. And I think I think what's the biggest challenge of this is we get a passion in our heart towards something that should be a certain way. And then we start measuring people to the standard of what we think that certain way should be. And there is a standard. Let's let's don't let's don't trivialize that. There is a standard of 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 good there is a standard of truth there is it that's not a wavery thing that flexes but the reality is to get people to see that they fit into that and to your point we we are servants of god but jesus never let us call ourselves that to him so to his disciples jesus said to to the servant i don't reveal what's going on only to my friends and so he kept distinguishing the two. Even when he tells the story of the certain man that had two sons, the one son said, I can go back. I'll, I'm better off to be a servant in my father's house than to live out here with the pigs. But his father wouldn't even hear it. My son mm -hmm. is home. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when God has seen us as something, whether we've accepted or not and rejected what he's seen in us and rejected what we could be and rejected the gift that would actually free us from all the bondage, he still sees us as that. We're just rejecting the relationship. But he keeps encouraging what he sees because when, it's, when, the, when we hear that, that conversation that says, um, speak the truth in love, it doesn't loving, you don't lovingly tell somebody something that you want to tell them. It means I have a love for the person I'm speaking to and I'm going to tell you what you really are so you can let go of what you're not. That's speaking the truth in love. That means sometimes you go to the ugly person, you don't, in love, tell them they're ugly. In love, you see what they really are and how ugliness, I don't mean like physically ugly, but ugliness of whatever, the behavior or whatever, you see what they really are and you draw that out and it's not long before they wanna let go of the ugliness. Otherwise, they hide behind the ugliness and you have a conflict. We're, si we're digressing slightly a little bit, but actually this is a good point that kind of ties into this whole way of thinking, but it comes back to being secure in who you are, knowing what your gifts and strengths are, courageously acting on behalf of others without you needing value from that courageous act. You're doing it because you see value in the people that you're helping, and influence starts taking place around you. So those are the motivations that should be shifted before this even happens. And I think there has to be a change in perspective on how we see God wanting to influence us too. Because just like we said, if you're 
you're not going to have an influence on someone unless you genuinely believe in the greatness of who they are, unless you genuinely see something in them and want to draw it out. We understand that. People have a BS filter. They're going to know when you're not being genuine about it. And yet I think at times we kind of look at God as if he's looking at us with a bit of a of an asterisk or a caveat. Like, well, you you could be great if you would just get rid of these couple things that you're not doing so good. And when we have that perspective, we kind of invalidate the influence of God for ourselves. And it's no wonder that we're used to trying to do the same thing with other people. If that's how we think God views us, then that's how we are naturally going to view other people and therefore how we try to influence other people. But we see that that doesn't work. And so maybe we got to start by going back and this is this ties into identity, but it's a it's it's deeper than just identity. It's about the continuous influence of the Father on your heart, because there's so many people I talk to. Okay, I know my identity. I know I'm a, a son. I know I'm a daughter. I know I'm saved. I know I'm part of the family. All this stuff, but there's just something, some feeling that's missing. I don't feel the. I don't always see myself as God sees me. Well, what if we started to see his perspective on how he's trying to influence our hearts? So what if we actually saw that he knows there's something great in us because, for one, he put it there, and it's genuinely a part of who you are? If you can start to see that, you feel something different. You actually feel the influence of the Father on your heart. And from that, we can gain a bit of a better perspective on how to influence other people. Because, I mean, if it's not real from God to us, it's not going to be real from us to other people. Well, if we go back to the, the very beginning, just think about the whole idea. Let's, let's remove the theology thinking. Let's just look at a, a simplistic form, and I don't mean to do that to cheapen anything, but just to keep it simple. I think everyone can see in the story that I just told how that would affect them too. How mm -hmm. if someone actually just cared about you and didn't look at what you were, didn't look at where you're from, didn't look at all the things that I might be better or, or whatever, they just genuinely liked you and, uh, and valued you. Think about how those words affect us when people are like that with us. Just, just ponder a, a scenario when someone just, wow, I thought they would never like me and they just like me. And it, it does something to want, it, it empowers you to let go and to be free. So God, the Father, sends Jesus to a people who don't even like him. They, they, don't, they don't value him, they reject him, they do all those things. And you could say, we, we, so theological, we make that story so theological that we miss the relational element of that whole story. And so if you knew that God truly loved you, but a lot of times I think we know we, we've read that he loves us and he's up there, but he doesn't quite, he has kind of a slant of disappointment towards me. So how do you, how do you act around someone who know, you, you believe you feel like you're always a disappointment to? How, how do you behave? Are you engaging or are you evasive? How does that look? Well, and then you want to try to get it right so you can restore that relationship. So you always feel like you're in a fix-it mode to get that back, but you're just not sure if it will ever be 
right. God doesn't look at it like that. He's already done everything, so he's free from that. When Jesus died on the cross, he said he put everything behind you. He's holding nothing. He doesn't even look at it. In fact, when you bring his garbage, he just looks, I already took care of that. I want you. I want you. You're the, you're the ransom. You're the value point. You're the one that I want. And people say, well, if we do all that, you're just going to give people permission. You had no. No one wants to stay in a mess. No one wants to believe dumbly. No one wants to do that. They just don't know how to get out of it. So they surround themselves with people that will support and reinforce that idea. And then someone comes in and breaks that mold. Deep down, they want that. They, they want that mold broken. And so if we look at how God truly does it with us, it actually makes us holy. There's no other way to do it because we tried the Ten Commandments and it, it didn't work. And there was nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. It just can't make you better because there's no relationship behind the commandments. But what is behind a relationship now goes in your heart and your heart wants that. And so I, I think we have to see how God actually influences people in a powerful way. And, and I keep going back to the Gideon story, and there's, there's so many throughout Scripture. I mean, I love this one. He comes by, and um, Nathaniel is standing by the side of the road, and he's kind of watching, and Jesus walks by, and he looks at him and says, and there is a righteous man with no deceit in his heart. And he's like, how do you know me? He goes, I saw you under the tree one day. And he goes, truly, you are the son of God. And I've pondered that story for a while. Like, how in the <laughs> world would that have done it? Because when Nathaniel was spying on Jesus a week before, he was hoping maybe he could connect. But man, he'll, you'll never see anything in me. And for him to see that and to see what he was and to see a, a trueness. And now there's no way for him to be... A, a, a man with a righteous man because Jesus hadn't come. So you could say he still had all that broken nature in him, but that's not what Jesus saw in him. And he called it out and Nathaniel followed him. And I thought that's kind of this great example of how he influenced and he connected and he valued and he looked at these people in a whole different light. I don't think we've even comprehended how he actually looks at us and how he grieves over us because he wants the relationship. He doesn't want you to perform. He wants the relationship because out of that, you rise into what you are. And all of a sudden you start influencing the world around you. So here's a question then. How do we start practicing seeing other people in that light? Especially for those of us who have grown up with perspectives and mindsets where you don't really notice that about a person. You don't look into their core. You see what what they do. You see people's actions. And that's just that's just a human nature thing. You see what's in front of you. You see someone's actions. You see their body language. You see their mannerisms, their personality traits. It's hard to to get past that at times and to see someone for who they are and for who God has made them to be. So how do we practice seeing that in other people so that we can actually start to influence them? Because you've been doing this a long time. You've had a lot more practice than some of us have, and you're a lot better at it. So what's a good starting point? Let me just say I'm an experienced amateur. Um, I have a lot to learn. And I went, a couple of things I realized, I'm not here to influence everybody. 
Most people say, I want to go influence my family. So they get this message and want to go back to their family. Sometimes you're the worst influence on your family. And it's not because you still can't see them mm -hmm. in a good light, but maybe you need to pray for someone else that they could relate that that would impact them. Everyone needs an impact person, somebody that that is where they're at that can understand from where they're at. So not I can't influence everybody, but what I can do is plant the seeds of seeing value in the, those people, even if I don't say a word. And again, we start mo most of my relationships and the things that have happened have started with a question, not with an answer. Because a lot of times I don't know their answer. I just keep probing the question to get life to start jump-starting on the inside of them. But I think one thing that needs to be, be heard here, if you value people, it's easy to go to the quote-unquote lowlier people than you and start seeing, seeing value to lift them up. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But can you also go to the person that's above you or in a social ladder above you and still see value in them. If you cannot do that, your heart is still, you're still looking down on people because you're looking at people that are lower than where you're at. You're still trying to find a level of hierarchy within your value system. So I should be able to go to the highest of high and the lowest of low and still see the same thing. But if I hate those above me, but only love those below me because they've the ones that are hurting them, I'm missing the whole point because you got to think about it. Paul, you got Stephen, who's kind of the lowly guy on the totem pole as far as the, the workload of the disciples. He's the one serving the tables. So he's not the high up disciple or whatever. He's just guy, but he's so powerful and influential that it's Paul that is the one who they cast his, their robes at Paul's feet before they stone Stephen. And yet Paul, so he's a high up. I mean, he's the guy. He is the one leading the assault on this whole thing. And it took Jesus would be the only one that could come and persuaded his heart. He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't come in and say, here's what I'm going to do to you. And, and just started going off on all of Paul's deals. He just said, why are you hurting me, Paul? And it broke Paul. And so we see when his eyes are open, he's changed. We could probably affect the world more as if we'd even look at the people that are above us or we think that are above us the way God values them. So it's on all social structures. So the moment you start picking groups that you're going to influence, take a motive of your heart. Do I want to influence them because I have more power over them? Or do I want to influence them because God sees value in them? And then you can cross the lines and deal with anybody. One thing I want to add to that, and it's pretty interesting when you look at people being influenced in history and in scripture, there's a lot of times it comes in the form of a question instead of an answer. So with Jesus and Paul, Jesus didn't come and say, Paul, this is why you're wrong and why you need to turn away from the Pharisees and become a Christian. He just asked him a question. And you think of that question in a very literal sense, because we'll look at it as kind of a defensive question, like, man, why are you hurting me? But think of it this way. What if Paul had never asked himself that question? Why am I actually doing this? Why am I actually persecuting these people? Maybe he's been reacting to the way he's been brought up in the religious system his entire life. And maybe he never took enough time to sit there and think, what is actually going on? Who are the people around me? Why am I doing this? And maybe it just took that question to spark a change in him. So maybe a takeaway for a lot of us is stop trying to provide answers to everyone's problems. Maybe just ask a few questions instead and see what happens with that.
I am greatly more affected when someone cares about me and asks me questions than I am from them pointing out a better way. Yep. Yep. Because deep down, everyone already knows there's a better way, and deep down, everyone's in pursuit of a better way. But they don't trust the motive of the people that are speaking it, so they build a reserve. And Paul, he later on says, I count my life, everything I've earned, all my righteousness, because I was perfect according to the law, I count it as dung. Dog waste, manure, pick the word. I count it like that, sewage in comparison to knowing him. Because his identity was built on all of those false pretenses of his own value. So he wasn't trying to influence people. He was persuading them into his ideas. And if you went against it, he went against you. And so think about how we can now disarm that whole thing by just truly seeing the person for what they are, not for what they've done. All right, guys, that's going to be a wrap for this week. As always, we appreciate you listening in. Feel free to comment on the podcast. Uh, Catch us on social media. We're under Outbound Life on Facebook. You can go to outboundlife.org. Let us know what's standing out to you in these discussions. Let us know how you're seeing these things impact your daily life, how you've grown in this, stuff that you have learned that has helped you change your perspective and just grow um, in your day-to-day life. And so we appreciate you guys, and we'll be back next week.